electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Did the CDC finally give us the all-clear sign today? A signal that those of us who've been vaccinated can go back to our normal lives? It sure feels like it. If you've gotten the jab, you can take off your mask and maybe even shake hands or hug another human being. And I think that's a chief reason why the averages roared today. The Dow surging 434 points. The S&P jumping 1.22%. Bye, 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 And then NASDAQ rising 0.72%. But it's not all good news for the market. The CDC's new guidance also means you're going to get clobbered. If you keep owning the lockdown stocks, instead, you need to circle back to the great reopening plays. In the words of CDC Director Walensky, anyone who is fully vaccinated can participate in outdoor and indoor and outdoor activities, large or small, without wearing a mask or physical distancing. Now, wait a second. Wait a second. I don't blame you probably confused. I don't blame you for being confused. Because, you see, this is the same person who broke down in tears six weeks ago and said, I'm going to lose the script. I'm going to reflect on the recurring feeling I have of impending doom. Maybe your impending doom comment worked by scaring us into getting vaccinated. Or maybe this is just an incredibly confusing moment. I'm going for the latter. Either way, in early morning, it looked like we were headed for still one more day of everything rolling over, led by the turbocharged revenue growth stocks with no earnings. We then started rallying, only to once again begin the steady afternoon slog down until her comments turn the market around for good. Now, I know the CDC's comments are a big deal. I know that it's worth some celebrating, but let's break this rally down into its real component parts and figure out what really happened, because it has as much to do with real-world asset prices as it does with this light at the end of the COVID tunnel. First, you need to understand that this phase of the bull market's all about keeping inflation tame, tame enough 
so that the economy can grow without overheating and forcing the Federal Reserve to slam on the brakes, which is what everyone has. So it's got everybody frightened. I mean, there are those of us who believe, like Fed Chief Jay Powell, that inflation can be tamed on its own if we just give it time. We've got a bunch of supply shortages, and those tend to be self-correcting historically. Production goes up, demand goes down. Problem solved! But then there's another camp that thinks it's already too late. The inflation train, well, it has left the station. So you need to circle the wagons around the inflation winners and dump nearly everything else. This latter group's been in charge for months now. You just may not have known it. It really just surfaced big time in the last week. And their worldview has crushed entire cohorts of stocks, both speculative and sober. Well, first, they took out the high flyers with no sales and no earnings. Then they shot the ones with good sales but no earnings. Then they obliterated those with great sales and only some earnings. And by earlier this week, well, they were selling everything. Even the ones with great sales and great earnings think fine. Something that had been sacrosanct until the last week. That cashed in money, money that they took, the source of funds, as I like to say, that they took from those. Well, it flowed into a handful of companies that make a fortune when inflation is raging because they're the ones causing it. The last few days, the bull market was limited to companies that dig up resources, sell them, because almost every day commodities went higher and higher, something that's terrible for everybody except the suppliers of those things. And by the way, almost everybody is not a supplier. Today, though, we got a stunning confluence. See, first, in a pretty big surprise, a major commodity got crushed. Talk about oil, where traders got the surprise of their lives when they found out the Colonial Pipeline Company paid a $5 million ransom to the hackers who shut down their pipeline. Small price to pay to get business going again. Now, look, we don't even know if it was a quid pro quo. We don't really know much about this thing at all, but it was shocking. And every speculator had been hoarding oil off this incident suddenly had to give it up. When oil ticked down before it opened, it only plummeted more than two bucks. That dragged down bond yields. So even though we got another hot inflation number this morning, this time it was the producer price index, the decline in crude startled the commodity traders who've been betting there could be no ceiling on anything. Of course, it wouldn't have mattered if it was just oil. But lumber, maybe the most egregious of commodities, finally seems to have peaked. Lumber's been on a tear, running from $300 to nearly $1,700. But we've had three down-limit days this week. That's a classic sign of a blow-off top. I'm going to drill down on that later in the show. These days, commodities tend to trade together because we've got so many investors trying to hedge against inflation. And they're using commodity ETFs that link everything together. The combination of two of the hottest commodities, oil and lumber, getting smashed has spilled into the whole complex, causing nearly everything to trade down that had been trading up relentlessly. Okay, that's part of the story. The rest of it has to do with tamping down excessive speculation. You and I both know we've been in the grips of a speculative mania. Jeez, you know, these high flyers and then the SPACs and especially cryptocurrencies. Now, we're going to talk to Coinbase later in the show. But just like lumber led commodities down, crypto speculators got crushed when Elon Musk announced that Tesla would no longer let people buy cars with Bitcoin. Musk has gone from the Pied Piper of crypto to the nemesis of crypto. Hey, he trashed his beloved Dogecoin on Saturday Night Live. Now he's decking Bitcoin itself, the bell cow of the entire speculative conceit. From Wall Street's perspective, That's fabulous. So remember, I keep telling you the bond market's calling the tune. And there's nothing the bond market hates more than inflation and rampant speculation. 
you slay both of them. If you crush both of them. If you cut their heads off. Even if it's just for a day. That allows bond yields to go back down. Even when the CDC gives us the green light to go back to normal, you would expect rates to just, just to soar. This insanely positive market is the result of all that. We're all but the most speculative stocks, the equity equivalent of cryptocurrencies and the stay-at-home plays word. Those were the two that got killed, okay? Now, let's think about that. That's what got crushed. So as long as commodities were on fire and speculation raged, what did it do? It made Fed Chief Jay Powell look foolish for insisting that he didn't need to raise interest rates because he says inflation's temporary. Today, though, he looked like the most prescient man in the world. Anything that allows you to believe that we can have growth without inflation is going to send the stock market higher. Everything from the financials to the techs, the consumer product names, they all roared today. If you think that's all way too pat, let me tell you what else has been way too pat. For the last weeks, all sorts of stocks have been mowed down because doom was in the air every day. That's led to a sudden resurgence of short sellers betting against stocks because, after all, inflation is bad for the market. But what happens if we can get inflation under control? Well, then you get more days like today. Well, can it happen again? I say it all depends on four things. It depends on the dreaded four speculative horsemen of the stock market apocalypse. Yes, oil, lumber, Bitcoin, and the Woodstocks. The highly speculative stocks beloved by Kathy Wood, formerly the portfolio manager with the hottest hand in the business. The bottom line, if oil, lumber, Bitcoin, and the wood stocks can keep going down, the four horsemen that slay the bull, then you're going to get many more days like today. If not, then this rally will turn out to be nothing more than a temporary reprieve. Let's go to Kevin in Illinois. Kevin! Cheers, Jim. Uh, interested in UNH, United Health. It's had a pretty good run, but the PE is still reasonable, around 23. I'm inclined to see this dip as a buying opportunity. What do you think? Should I, I totally agree with in? you. I cannot believe that this one's coming back down. They'll give me another chance to get in. I've been watching this go up and it broke over 420. I said, why did I buy this for my channel trust? I was so mad. It's such a good stock. You are so spot on. That is precisely what you want to buy if days like today can continue. I think that Kevin's got horse sense. Can I go to Clark in Florida, please? Clark. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Booyah. Oh, booyah. Uh, Listen, uh, a couple of months back, you uh, created sort of like a pseudo uh, ETF for the 5G companies that you thought were the best ones. Yes. And Infigo, INSG, was in there. Um, Obviously, uh, the company is uh, taking a little bit of a nosedive. And I was just wondering, do we hold this, buy more at this level, or uh, get rid of it? You know, I I had them on... uh, and put it, put their feet to the fire saying, hey, guys, I mean, what's going on here? And, and they pretty much assured me that things were going to go well. And, well, guess what? That assurance wasn't, uh, let's say it was ill-advised, okay, because I'm a real jet. It was ill-advised. All right, here we go. Look at this. If the stock market's four speculative forces, oil, lumber, Bitcoin, and Woodstock fall in tandem, then you can expect more updates like the one we did. These are what you have to follow from now on. This is what's going to do it on Mad Money tonight. Can DoorDash continue to deliver in a post-pandemic world? I'm talking with the CEO of Fresh Off Earnings. Then, how worried should we be about inflation? I'm going off the charts to find out. And looking for a sound investment in an uncertain market? I'll find out if Sonos could do the trick. So stay with Kramer. 
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also, a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. How worried should we be about inflation? Yesterday, everybody freaked out when we saw that white-hot CPI number. But what if we're already much closer to peak inflation than Wall Street (laughs) really believes? And we know Wall Street thinks it's going to go much higher. Tonight, because of the possibility that commodities actually might have experienced a blow-off top, we're running a special off-the-charts with help of Carly Garner. She's a brilliant technician who's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading, the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading. And she's our resident commodities expert because she's got an intriguing thesis. She thinks the inflation narrative is flawed, or at least the reaction to it is overdone. Why? Aren't commodity prices relentlessly going higher because of an inflationary red-hot expansion fueled by endless dollar printing and stimulus? Sure, but as Garner points out, commodity rallies tend to be swift but temporary. Higher prices lure in more supply, which then sends those prices back down. Plus, remember, the CPI, Consumer Price Index, is a lagging indicator. It tells us not about the past. It tells about the past. It doesn't tell us the present. Does it? Basically, the data is merely staring. It's, it's starting to reflect what we already knew. And that's really important because I know a lot of us are freaked out by this stuff. More important, though, when you look at some of the hottest commodities out there, some of them already show signs of peaking. So let's start with the weekly chart of lumber. The inflation hawks love pointing to skyrocketing lumber prices as a sign that things have truly gotten out of control. 
But Carter reminds us that lumber is very thinly traded. Between the lack of liquidity and the volatile nature of the market, you often end up with locked limit trading days where the price change reaches the exchange's maximum allowable fluctuation for the session. Earlier this month, we saw a lot of limit-up moves for lumber. But over the past week, we've seen the dramatic shift in sentiment. In fact, lumber's traded limit down three days this week. And at this point, it's pulled back pretty substantially from its highs. That is a substantial pullback, believe it or not. Still, Garner thinks the lumber market's a bad gauge of inflation. It's so illiquid, so she doesn't want to use it to predict a precise turning point in commodity inflation. That said, she believes the current prices are unsustainable in the long run. Sawmills are bending over backward to meet demand at windfall prices. Sooner or later, we're going to get a flood of supply. And she's predicting that the price will fall to just under $1,000 per board foot. That's way down from the peak around $1,700. But still abuse from where this started at around $300. With lumber rally finally cracking, Garner says other commodities just might follow suit. There's so much speculation in commodities that many of them now trade together. Copper, sugar, soybeans, corn all have a 90% or higher correlation with lumber prices. That's thanks to all the investors buying commodity ETFs to participate in the rally or hedge against inflation. But if commodities could all rocket higher together, well, doesn't it mean they could all roll over together? Let's take a look at one that's more representative. Let's go to copper, which everybody I know loves, loves, loves. This is the monthly chart, okay? Pretty positive, right? So far, copper prices haven't suffered the same fate as lumber, but the rally has stalled out. Right here, she thinks it's stalling. Garner believes that's the first step toward what she calls normalization. We're seeing similarly stagnant action in grains and even oil. So if lumber really is the leader, Garner's betting this could be the beginning of the end of the inflation trade. But let's go back to copper futures. The red metal made a parabolic move. I hate parabolic moves. Parabolic move to new all-time highs earlier this month. As Garner points out, though, we've seen this movie before. In both 2008 and 2011, copper made explosive moves higher, posting new record highs as its stock went to overbought levels on the RSI, the Relative Strength Index. That's an important momentum indicator. I've taught you that. However, each time that milestone quickly morphed into widespread selling. Let's drill down to the daily chart of copper. This is very different now. You can see it's trading in a channel, okay, with a nice uptrend, pretty beautiful, okay, but it just bounced off the ceiling. And Garner expects we're going to get a retreat to the lower end of the trading range, close to 420. That would still be high. That's down 10% from here. Based on copper's volatile history, she wouldn't be surprised if we get a total breakdown to 380 or even 350 if the dollar continues to firm up. Put it all together, and Garner thinks there's something circular about the commodity rally. There's been lots of new money coming in with people buying commodity ETFs because they're afraid of inflation, but their buying ends up causing inflation. Once a few commodities start breaking down, though, that money could dry up and send everything lower. With lumber already tanked and copper stalled, Garner believes the peak commodity inflation could be closer than you think, and that would be a game changer for all markets. I don't know if she's right, but she makes a compelling case. And I think, by the way, her thinking is the proximate cause of why so many stocks soar today, because there's too many people who say, wait a second, maybe the whole complex is coming down. Stick with Kramer. Coming up, when COVID struck, they dashed to adapt. After earnings, is this company nimble enough to pivot back to another new normal? Order some food and stick around. DoorDash is next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. 
While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. What do we do with the delivery play like DoorDash now that the world's going back to normal? Over the past few months, the stock's plummeted roughly 55% from its highs. These levels, it's not far from where it came public last December. Tonight, though, DoorDash reported a pretty darn good quarter. The company delivered a big top and bottom line beat, with management giving us a better-than-expected forecast for the second quarter and also raising its full-year guidance. In response, the stock roared in after-hours trading. Gotta ask yourself, is this a turning point? Let's dig deeper with Tony Shu. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of DoorDash. Find out more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Shu, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. It's so good to be with you again. And uh, congrats on the reopening of Bar San Miguel. <laughs> oh, thank you. I was there last night. I wish, Kaylee, there were more people, but we are DoorDash clients, and I want to start we'll with this there. concept. Thank you. We're, and I wanted to reveal that. And the reason we are is because you offer several tiers. And for a small, medium, smart, you know, if you wanted to be able to get started, you know that the world's changed from the pandemic, and you need to be able to have food delivered. Can you tell us what you're doing for restaurants? Because you know I feel that there are levels that are fantastic for beginners and fantastic for companies that are bigger. Absolutely. Uh, as you know, Jim, you know, we started DoorDash to really help local business owners succeed. Business owners like yourself, like your wife, uh, like the restaurant I grew up in alongside my mother, where I worked as a dishwasher. Um, this is why I'm so excited about, you know, all the actions that we took during the pandemic in which, you know, helped the average restaurant on DoorDash have eight times more odds of surviving and staying open during this pandemic uh, than the average restaurant in the industry. And I'm super excited about helping all restaurants, you know, get out into recovery as uh, vaccination rates are up and, and, you know, soon we'll be doing all of this in person again. And so we announced uh, a couple of weeks ago, a new pricing plan in which we have three plans, a 15% plan, 25% plan, and a 30% plan. The goal behind this new announcement is really to help businesses choose, you know, how much do they want to invest in growth and participate in programs like Dash Pass, uh, which DoorDash covers uh, the charge of delivery? How much do they want to invest in profitability, uh, especially maybe as they get out into recovery? How much do they want to see the growth coming from their own channel, their own website, which can be powered for no commission and no cost? 
through DoorDash storefront? And how much maybe do they want to see through pickup, not delivery? And we slash pickup rates by 60% from 15% now down to 6%. So we're really giving restaurants more choice along all of these spectrums and helping them succeed as we get out of COVID-19. And by doing this, I mean, you are total orders grew 219% year over year. That is rather extraordinary numbers. Can that be sustained? Well, the effects of the pandemic really were a lot more muted than we expected and what we were forecasting toward the end of last year. And that's why, you know, some of the growth you saw in the quarter, you know, we really had to make sure that we had enough drivers on the road to actually sustain that growth. But we saw growth really across the board, driven firstly by record engagement from our consumers, but also by our growth into new categories where now, you know, non-restaurant orders now total over 7% of our total orders, growing 40% quarter on quarter. And we see continued strength as we've made this progress. And, and, and we've done all of this while, you know, running a very disciplined business, now achieving four consecutive quarters of adjusted positive EBITDA. Uh, now, I think it's also important to go back to how what it does for restaurants. So I want people to understand this. We all live by same stores. That's what we do, you know, whether it be whether we're talking about Target or Walmart or whether we're talking about Bar San Miguel. When you look at the same store sales that you get as a partner with DoorDash, they are rather incredible in terms of the lift. Absolutely. I mean, same store sales are up, you know, triple digits for a lot of restaurants that joined during the pandemic. And this is something that we continuously want to invest in, both through, you know, the DoorDash app, um, which saw record growth, but also through the restaurants channel. And we're, this is why we built products like DoorDash Storefront or DoorDash Drive, which is our white label logistics platform that allows a restaurant to offer delivery from their own website, their own app, their own phone systems. And that way we can give even more growth uh, for that restaurant, um, both through the DoorDash app as well as their own channel. Is there room for, uh, for Grub, for Uber, for DoorDash, for any other comers? Are, are you concerned that there's not enough moat, that there are too much, uh, let's say, ability to switch from being a dasher to working for Uber and, and not enough loyalty? We're not seeing that. We're seeing actually quite a lot of um, engagement and loyalty and continued um, uh, you know, strength at all-time highs uh, across all audiences, whether it's consumer engagement, Dasher engagement or the merchants on DoorDash. And I think that's because we're always focused on how do we build a better experience for all of these audiences, whether it's offering more selection, higher quality, better prices for consumers, more products for merchants, such, and as well as better pricing plans, as, such as the one we announced a couple of weeks ago. And for Dashers, giving them more choice to do more types of deliveries. And by building a better product, that's what has really allowed us to fuel this growth. And if we take a step back, I mean, the industry is still in its very earliest beginnings. I mean, when you combine, if you take the U.S., all of the you know, largest players, we're less than 10% of the industry's sales. And so as that continues to grow, so will DoorDash's market leadership. It would seem to be inconceivable, but over the past few years, as I understand it, Dashers, who were paid $2.5 billion, their pay increased 40%. Consumer fees decreased by 13%. How is that possible? It's possible by taking out all of the waste in the system. I mean, at DoorDash, one of the things we pride ourselves in is how to become operationally excellent and efficient and take away any wasted time from, you know, a driver waiting for an order or making sure that we give the most efficient route or making sure that we can work with restaurants themselves to get the in-store operations perfect and 
more efficient for delivery. It's all of those things that put together really take waste, therefore costs out of the system. And that's how we give you know, both more pay to drivers, mm-hmm. less fees to merchants, and lower prices to consumers. Candidly, after the last few days, I said, oh, my, what is Tony going to report? How much is he going to lose? He's in a fight for uh, a dog fight against everybody else. The EBITDA, there won't be any. I mean, this was a breakout quarter for you. What do you think people don't understand about how you actually are not someone who says, you know what, I'm going to lose money until I win. But you have told me from day one, you're going to make money and everybody wins. That's been your philosophy from day one. And this quarter did it. We believe that you can grow and be operationally efficient and disciplined. And I think we've shown that now four quarters in a row of achieving positive adjusted EBITDA while growing triple digits. In fact, tripling revenues, even uh, this past quarter that we just announced results for. And, you know, to me, it's always about how do you solve for the entire system? How do you actually make sure that we can continuously build the best selection the widest, uh, the, the greatest quality of service and, and, and take out every wasted component so that we can give the best prices for all of our audiences. And, and I think that, you know, that f- um, disciplined focus on execution, you know, it, it really is, is um, a testament to the team's work since day one. I, I think one of the things that people historically forget about DoorDash is we didn't always have a lot of capital. No, and for the yeah. first five, six years of the company's eight-year history, we had you know, a tiny percentage of the operating budgets of our peers, and we still grew market share. And that's because most of our growth has always come from our existing customer base. By having a better product, that's allowed us to achieve greater retention across all of our cohorts, which means that we don't have to invest as much in marketing. We do not have to discount or subsidize our orders. And as a result, we can grow profitably. All right. Well, look, Tony Shu, congratulations on an excellent quarter. Tony's co-founder and CEO of DoorDash. And it's great to have you on Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. See you soon. Once again, full disclosure, I am a uh, client. I have to say this stuff, okay? Uh, because I want you to know where I'm coming from. I don't get any money from DoorDash or anything, but you need to know that because I thought it was a great quarter. That money's back in for break. Coming up, can you hear it? The smooth reverbs of a company that's wired to smarten up your home sound. Crank up the speakers. Kramer's got Sonos next. Weeks every every time a stay-at-home play reported a great quarter, all its stock would do nothing or go even lower. Today, though, that pattern changed when Sonos, the maker of high-quality smart speakers, delivered a fantastic quarter and its stock jumped more than seven percent. Sonos was a huge winner in 2020s. People who were stuck at home decided they might as well get a good sound system to make the experience more pleasant. Uh, yours truly included. But in the past month, the stock has plummeted from its highs, falling from just under 45 in mid-April to 31 yesterday. That created a terrific setup, didn't it? Because when Sonos supported a big top and bottom line B, 90% revenue growth, and a surprise profit, investors were able to get excited again. Didn't hurt that management raised their full-year forecast and told a very bullish story about new products, including the successful launch of Rome, their portable speaker. That's R-O-A-M, of course. So after today's run, can this stock keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Patrick Spence. He's the CEO of Sonos. Learn more about the quarter and what he sees going forward. Mr. Spence, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be here. Oh, thank you, Patrick. Okay, so I have this this theory, which is that 
a lot of the stay-at-home, you know, closing America companies, when they've reported, they've said things look unclear, or they said they're worried, or they can't be sure, or they're not confident. You, on the other hand, were confident, and you were confident because of three secular trends going your way that have nothing to do with the pandemic. Lay it out for us. So the first is the golden age of audio. We are in it, right? You see this with all of the great streaming music that's out there now, how well Spotify is doing, um, everything we're seeing in podcasting, now the rise of social audio, Clubhouse, Twitter spaces. The second is really what we've seen with all of, the, all of this great video content going directly into consumers' homes, and we expect that to continue. More movies being released right into the home, more people enjoying it in the home. And then the third is what, what we call the great reshuffling, right? Which is a lot of people that now have, have new flexibility and freedom to work anywhere. And so they're moving, they're setting up a new home, and that's perfect for Sono. So all of those trends are really powering our growth. Do we still think that people will be moving new homes or is that something that they were just fleeing the city and they don't need to anymore? No, this looks like a multi-year trend, Jim, where people, you know, people are trying to figure out what they want to do. Companies are becoming clear with their guidance to their people in terms of where can you work, um, what kind of flexibility will you have? And so we expect it'll be a multi-year trend and we'll see people migrate over time to different areas of the, of the country, which I think will be great for everybody. Now, I want to talk about uh, a new product that, frankly, it's hard to believe that something could be sold out already. I mean, no one seems to even have it. I thought we'd have one on the set. Tell me why Rome is so hot, especially in a world where, you know, I got some Alexa thing in my room. and I, I walk into my kitchen. I say, go play in a cage of music. I mean, why do I need a Rome? Because you want to take that great Sonos experience with you on the road. And so the Rome is really the perfect speaker for the reopening because now we're taking our first steps outside the home. And so that great Sonos experience everybody loves, you can take with you. And you can even do it in a super simple way with this great technology we invented called SoundSwap. So you can be playing it on one Sonos speaker, hear the music, bring your Rome up close. It'll magically transfer over to the Rome and you take it outside the home. So we think it's the perfect product at the perfect time. I have decent speakers in my car. Should I get better ones? You should get the Audi uh, Qtron that's coming out with the Sonos tuned sound system in it for sure. So we're taking our first steps into auto uh, through a partnership with Audi. And so we're very excited about this. Uh, it's a massive opportunity long term. We're just getting into it. And Jim, it really shows the fact that there is so much opportunity in the world of audio. You know, even with our increased guidance, we're really only talking about tapping into about 9% of the premium audio market this year. So that's about an $18 billion market. As we start to get to auto, these other areas of audio, it's an $89 billion market. So we've really just scratched the surface of what we think is possible over the long term. Do you think, I saw Disney reported this evening, do you think there's a possibility that the direct-to-consumer movies will, will revert to, uh, to theater once we're all vaccinated and that that trend could be uh, not in its infancy but still born? You know, I think we all want to enjoy some of those kind of communal ex experiences we had before. So movie theaters will open back up. Um, I know I'll go to go to them, you know, often as well, like I did before, but maybe not as often. And I think the genie's out of the bottle with the movies and going directly to the home. Right. We love this. We can have a family, you know, watch the movie at home and you can you can really enjoy it with Sonos and the great TVs that are out now in a theater like experience. So I think that's here to stay um, for the long term. 
Now, Patrick, one of the things I was very worried about, I said, oh, my, he's going to report a great quarter. I love the product. I've got it in two different places. Thank heavens. Fortunate enough to have two different places. But I know that all this raw cost stuff, all the semis, all the electronics, everyone's bemoaning it. Well, you have a team that was able to source the stuff so your gross margins were actually better? Our gross margins were better, and we were able to get a lot more supply than we'd expected. It's why we blew out the quarter. So our supply chain team, you know, has been at this 16 years. And I think right now, you know, everybody in the industry is facing these shortages, but you're seeing some companies manage them better than others. Um, And I think I'd put our record up against any that are out there right now. And we've factored that in, you know, the future and what we can see right now in terms of shortages. And we've still raised guidance. So we feel pretty good about where we sit right now. Um, one last question. Do I have to worry about this Google litigation three and a half years now? I'm mean, trying to figure out whether it's material or not, because I, people get scared. They tell me it's dropped that it's because of that. You know, we so so the ITC pushed out the date that they're going to give a preliminary ruling. Um, we sued Google just to bring everybody up to speed. We sued them uh, for infringing our intellectual property. Um, you know, and, and we feel very confident with that. So, um, in fact, there's no worry. Really, the thing to watch is. Uh, the ruling there to show that Sonos is the inventor of the smart speaker space and Google uh, will be hopefully through the ITC uh, held uh, infringing our intellectual property uh, and we'll have an injunction against their products. Well, it sounds like either nothing good, nothing happens, not nothing, or you do well. And that's what I like. You checked off every box, Patrick Spencer, CEO of Sonos. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Look, I'm... If you have the product, you're a believer, first of all. But second, this is a company that a lot of people feel is a stay-at-home company. I hope you heard what I heard, which is far more than that. Mad Money's back in. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time. It's time for the light round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski down. It's over the light round. Everyone's over. Bob in California. Bob. Yes. Jim, it's a pleasure talking to you. What's up? I, uh, I've been holding uh, Suncor for about three years, and I don't know whether I should hold it or dump it. Well, if you want to be in that cohort, if you want to be in energy, I'm only recommending two names. I'm recommending Chevron with that terrific yield, and I'm recommending uh, Pioneer, uh, Pioneer Nat PXD, and they're both better than Suncor, and you can get out at a nice price, so do it. Let's go to David in Colorado. David. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, I bought got this stock in January, right? It seems to be breaking out. Tell me, should I buy, sell, or hold jazz pharmaceuticals? A lot of it, they, I've been following this company. They have like a book. It's a very speculative company that actually makes money. I think you're in good hands. Uh, I, I, you know, why hasn't this company been bought by somebody? $10 billion. I like it. I like it. Let's go to Lee in New York. Lee. A big New York booyah to you, Jim. Yeah, what's going on? How are you? I'm talking right. about a SPAC merger I got a few months ago in the technology sector. Okay. Uh, they specialize in 4D LiDAR. Um, I bought in at 17 a few months ago. It just closed today above 7. I'm wondering if I should get in. Uh, the company is Ava Technologies, ticker uh, AEDA. It's a LiDAR play. You know, LiDAR and... Hey, I have to keep my eyes shut. What is that? Uh, LiDAR 
and charging stations. Too many players. I say ixnay lidarnay, okay? I can't be more, I, I don't think I can be more abject than that. And, uh, I, I don't like it. Let's go to uh, Jordan in New York. Jordan! Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. You betcha. Uh, I'm uh, I'm super optimistic about the long-term prospects of the renew- renewable energy space. Okay. I wanted to get your opinion on Brookfield Renewable Partners. Because Dr. you put it like that, I'm going to go with it, okay? You have to be super interested in that because otherwise I'm not. If you want to be, that's good to go. I don't want to play it that way, but I respect you. All right, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Growing pains? Billions of dollars were shaved off the crypto market in the last 24 hours. Is it time for investors to rethink their approach to these volatile assets? Kramer is talking to the top brass of the country's largest crypto exchange. Next. Oh, this is exciting, people. I know I like boring, but I have to go here. We need to talk about Coinbase Global. It's the cryptocurrency exchange that's come public last month via direct listing that landed, frankly, with a thud. After struggling initially, the stock started to recover a week ago, but then we got yesterday's tech meltdown. The darn thing rolled over again. Now, I am a big fan of Coinbase's business. As an alternative, just buying these cryptocurrencies. Timing's been tough, though. Stocks started trading into the teeth of a sell-off for turbocharged growth names, and it doesn't help that Bitcoin peaked the same week that Coinbase came public, with the biggest cryptocurrency down more than 20% since then. Plus, because there was no lockup in insider selling, the stock's been under a great deal of pressure. Could be artificial. However, tonight, Coinbase reported its first full quarter results, and while the headline numbers weren't a surprise, we'd already gotten preliminary numbers in April. Imagine did have some very positive commentary about the second quarter. Even better, Coinbase raised its full-year forecast significantly. So is this what the stock needs to turn itself around? Let's check in with Alicia Haas. She's the chief financial officer of Coinbase Global. He had a better read on these results and where a company's headed. Ms. Haas, welcome to Mad Money. Well, thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here today, Jim. Well, Alicia, I got to tell you, I think that uh, when people try to, especially young people, they want to speculate on, on crypto. I say, have you thought about Coinbase? And the reason I say that is because you really are the repository of every single crypto, right? But at the same time, you're profitable and you've got a pretty good handle on what's safe and what's not, correct? We sure try to. So can you tell me then, which are the, the, which are the cryptos that people are using and also, give me a sense, not just in Coinbase, but in the whole industry, is this something that's become a young person's speculation, or is everybody involved? Well, let's start with the back half of that question first. So you'd be surprised how broadly appealing crypto is. We have all users on our platform. We have young, we have old, we have experienced crypto investors who've now been in this asset class since the early 2013 time period. And we have brand new users who are just getting their first taste of crypto on our platform today. All geographies, all demographics, it is a universal appealing asset class. And with regards to the coins, typically the first coin that people are interested in is Bitcoin. It's the largest, it's the oldest, it's the most broadly known, but increasingly users are interested in the long tail of crypto. And you can see that in the numbers that we reported today, that the other crypto assets on the platform are seen in increasing volume and trading assets on our platform. And so we think over time, more and more users are getting engaged with more and more crypto assets. And that's what we're excited to see. Now, there are many different companies that do what you do, but you're the Mm -hmm. most established. 
I would imagine if I were you, I'd actually like more regulation because I think that you would stand up under a lot of scrutiny. Would you like more regulation in your business? You know, we've leaned into regulation since we were founded. Our founders, Brian and Fred, early on believed that to be the most trusted, we needed to have regulation in crypto. So, yes, we like partnering with regulators. We want there to be a level playing field and we embrace regulation. We think it's a benefit to our business and not a burden. Do you envision a world where we will have full service Coinbase? We'll have a credit card Coinbase. We'll have a checking account Coinbase based on, say, our Ethereum. Absolutely. We hope to be the primary financial account in the crypto economy and engage our users with all the transaction types. Some that you mentioned, some that we're very familiar with in the typical fiat system, credit cards, loans, deposit accounts, but also new. I mean, we have staking, we have governance, and I think that crypto will enable new transactions that we can't even envision today. Now, some people feel that the crypto winter is over and we're advancing. And then other people feel today was the beginning of the end of crypto because Elon Musk decided he would not accept Bitcoin for uh, for Tesla. Is one or the other anecdotal or empirical? In other words, is Musk just anecdotal? And is it empirically obvious to you that these crypto uh, currencies are here to stay? I think crypto is here to stay. I do think crypto is volatile, though, and you can see it that we react to a tweet that will react to one off headlines. And so we, as we've shared with investors, this is a long term investment. We believe that we are just starting to get to the potential of crypto, but it could be a bumpy journey. And we could see days that are up and down like we have seen in the past. Well, then maybe we want to be in and out. And I know from the app that I get, what, about six percent on my cash at Coinbase. Mm-hmm. How's that possible when I get 0.25 percent of my bank? Well, it's not yet an efficient market that we see in the traditional fiat system. So if you have the opportunity to invest in DeFi protocols, there are attractive rewards to be earned today. Now, uh, when we talk about this Dogecoin, I mean, isn't there a difference, Alicia, between some cryptos that are serious and others that might may just be comical? You know, we leave that to the decision of our users. We are a platform. We want to offer all assets that meet our listing standards. And we hope to be the place where you can come and trade anything that you want to trade. That is not the case today. We are slow. We need to add more assets. We're making big investments to improve the speed of our asset addition. But clearly, the market is speaking. All right. Now, periodically, I see uh, comment. I see MasterCard and Visa periodically want to be in. I know that that the very forward looking companies like PayPal and, and like Square, they're in. I mean, are these legitimate competition to what Coinbase does? Absolutely. And we welcome them. Three years ago, when we were the only crypto company, we were, were a little lonely out there. And so now that we see most fintechs embracing crypto and large financial services players, it just really says that crypto's arrived. Like this is becoming mainstream and this is here to stay. Yet it is evolving. And as you just said, there's new assets, there's new technologies, there's NFTs, there's DeFi, and this is hard work. And so we believe that being crypto native and being able to integrate with the blockchain protocols and build on the crypto frontier, it really differentiates us from these other players. And we hope to serve as that primary financial account, as I mentioned, in crypto and continuing to attract users to our platform like we demonstrated with our Q1 results. Okay, I was on a CNBC town hall today. I would say probably if we looked at the questions, I'm a stock guy, you know that. I'd say Mm -hmm. half the questions are about about, uh, crypto and many of them are from young people. So I have to ask you, because I know your background, if you're just starting out, how would you learn about this in a legitimate, objective way so that people can do this safely? Because you yourself said it's risky. 
come to our platform. We have lots of educational resources that we can educate you on. You can read our blog. We have references to other folks that write about crypto, write about coins, write about the risks, the security, what the opportunity is. There is so much to learn out here, and we really welcome folks to come and jump into the crypto economy with us. Do you think that uh, that major banks are going to say, why would you ever go there? They have no FDIC protection. Well, we don't have FDIC protection on securities either or bonds or other investment assets. So, yes, these are not deposits that are FDIC insured. However, I believe that these can make great investment opportunities for folks that have the ability to hodl for long periods of time and are well-educated about the investment risks. And we encourage people to be educated before they make an investment decision. You are a terrific spokesperson for the institution. I know I should have gone over more of the financials. I'm trying to get people to understand that maybe if they want to be in this, it might be better to be in the pick and shovel player, which is Coinbase, than to be in the actuals, which have a lot more risk. So I want to thank Alicia Haas so much for coming on Mad Money. Lisa, she's the CFO of Coinbase. Quite exciting, guys. Now, look, I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. I'll see you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.